Hi, thanks for tuning into the Good Trash Genre Cast. The Good Trash Genre Cast is brought to you in part by SadMenForLonelyWomen.com. SadMenForLonelyWomen.com. Because at some point, somebody stopped loving you. The Good Trash Genre Cast is also brought to you in part by listeners like Sam LaCates through Patreon.com. For more information, go to Patreon.com forward slash GTGC. We got a Black Hawk down. We got a Black Hawk down. 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 Good Trash Genre Cast. So, dead? That's fine. How about alive? Hmm? Want to know what got these scars? Can you spell it? D J A N G O. The D is silent. Okay, I get it. Who gave you these? Who taught you about these? Learned it from you, okay? I murdered for wanting you! It bleeds. We can kill it. It's your last chance to walk away. Are you kidding? It's five against one. It's two against one. How do you figure? Once I take out the leader, which is you? I'll have to contend with one or two enthusiastic wingmen. Last two guys, I always win. Are you, uh, you done this before? It's getting late. Remember, you wanted this. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and we talk about films that do not belong in a film studies course, and we apply film studies analysis. Anyway, this week is possibly an exception, where we look at a documentary of my high school dating life called Gone Girl. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, oh, I don't want to talk about it. It makes me sad. Um, like a sad man for lonely women. Brought to you by Sad Men for Lonely Women. There's a lot of comedy stuff there. It's very funny. Look at that. Hey, now, that's my job, dickhead. Oh, yeah. I just did that thing. Anyway, we are very, very, very happy to be breaking the Fincher rule this week, talking about this film, and we need to do some introductions first and foremost. So let's go around the table and identify the disembodied voices to my left, ma'am, if you would. I am the picker of the film. My name's Alexander Bohannon, and all of a sudden I feel like I'm on a Law & Order episode. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, t- on around the table, sir, if you would. Hi, my name is Caleb Masters, and I got something for you guys. You want to test your podcast for weak spots? Add one recession? Subtract two hosts? It's surprisingly effective. Accurate, accurate. Very, very, th- very much thanks to you, sir. Uh, across the table, if you would. My name is Dalton Stewart, and when I think about Arthur, I'm thinking about cracking open his head and unspooling his brain. <laughs> <laughs> Always a fun time. Don't we all? Uh, my name is Dustin Sells, and I have already taken myself to the woodshed, dear listener, so please don't do so much uh, when you give your comments afterward. Uh, we're so glad to be here talking. Gone Girl. He's a trained you. monkey, a monkey who doesn't get lethal injection. That's right. <laughs> Or am I? (laughs) And we're going to be talking about this film. Now, we're going to warn you, this is not a review show. It's an analysis show. So there will be spoilerific spoiler ridges throughout. However, we have a brief hiatus from that in which we give a synopsis from The Voice of the Cinema and our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. After that, we get down to business. 
when you hear that kicking music, you know that you are in spoiler territory. So without any further ado... Say, normally we play a little fast and loose with that spoiler shit, but I think this is a show where we will uh, stay tight-lipped until we get into analysis. Yeah, you have to. Seven-eighths of the fun is um, just not knowing. Absolutely. So, yeah, fair point, fair point. Mr. Arthur Gordon, voice of the cinema. Let's hear that synopsis now. With his wife's disappearance having become the focus of an intense media circus, a man sees the spotlight turned on him when it's suspected that he may not be innocent. Okay, I mean, that's true. So, okay, that's the movie. There you go. Now you know what's going on. I'm going to go with uh, the breaker of the Fincher rule himself, um, Mr. Dalton Stewart, uh, give you the first opportunity to get this over with. Well, I don't know about the breaker of the rule. Technically, this is Alex's Yeah, I was technically breaking the rule for you, so you're welcome. But you're not mad about this. No, it's fine. It was one of my favorite films of last year. For a comprehensive ranking, you can go listen to uh, one of our shows from very early this year in which we ranked our top five, maybe top ten films of 2014. Um, but yeah, I like Gone Girl uh, a whole, whole lot. Uh, it's probably not my favorite David Fincher movie. I would say it's certainly close. Uh, you know, the man's only made ten films, I think. Um, top, off the top of my head, I haven't, didn't count them all before we started talking. Uh, but I like it a lot. It's a, a, a searing look at Americana uh, that just makes a point to skewer about every facet of American... uh, uh, I would... Let me rephrase it. It makes a point to skewer every aspect of middle-class or upper-middle-class American life. Um, Marriage, family, the criminal justice system. Uh, When uh, I first saw this movie when it was released uh, just over a year ago, um, my letterbox review, I said this movie hates you, it hates men, it hates women, it hates your fucking family, it hates the criminal justice system. Uh, oh no, the, 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 what I say for last was, but most of all, it hates you. Um, it's, not a, it's not a nice movie. It's a mean movie. It is an actively mean-spirited film. Now, that doesn't make it a bad film. In fact, I think that's part of what makes it so good, uh, is the gusto with which it uh, antagonizes the audience. Um, the mystery is great. Um, it's beautifully shot. It's beautifully scored. Thanks and notes. I mean, it's a Fincher movie, so you know it looks damn good. Um, and his uh, returning collaborators, Atticus Ross uh, and Trent Reznor, turn in a hell of a score. Uh, they've been working with him since uh, Social Network. And, man, uh, the score in this movie is so unsettling. Just the, the little hums and the score. Ugh. I love this movie, guys. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to mince words about it. I, I like it a whole hell of a lot. Mr. Caleb Masters, thumbs up, thumbs down review. What do you have to say? Yeah, this was uh, the first time I'd seen Gone Girl since my initial in uh, since my initial theatrical viewing, uh, and it's even better the second time. Oh man, this this thing's a ride. It, it keeps you on your toes. It keeps you guessing every aspect of this it's, movie. I, it's surprising how well you know. I'm always leery of revisiting twisty films because I'm curious how they'll hold up. It holds up well. Yeah. Anyway, the the film, everything, every aspect, Fincher's directions, the best it's ever been. And Carrie Kuno is going to give her a mm-hmm. shout out. Tyler Perry, God, he needs to do less Tyler Perry movies and do more movies like this because uh, he had the best punchlines of the movie by a oh, lot. Oh, he steals every scene he's in. He's hysterical. Uh, the script is flawless. I mean, everything about this movie is is exceptional. And I now, love that Flynn adapted her novel, her own I, script. I right? love it when when the novelist or the, the author of the source material uh, adapts the the film. I love that. Now, though I find it undeniably impeccable as a film and a ride, 
Uh, I do have to admit that the bleaker edge of the satire does become a bit of a drain by the time the credits roll. It really does. Uh, Gone Girl is unapologetically pessimistic, and it relishes perhaps a little too much in the ironies of marriage, media, small time life, small town life, and like you said, uh, upper middle class. Well, I think that's a Fincher thing, though. I mean, it is. He is unapologetically pessimistic. No, he is. He is, and it, it does drain on me a little bit. I, I think it's. I mean, the movie needs to be this. I'm glad it is where it is. But there's certainly by the time I get to the end of the movie, I'm like, God, is there anything else that can do to make this worse. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. Miss Alexander Bohannon, picker of the film. This is all your fault. Defend the film or not defend it. Tell me what you think. It is my fault, and I will defend the film. As all of my co-hosts have said, that this film is worth your time. It's laudable. It does everything it sets to do well. It is bleak as shit, and it doesn't care that it punches you repeatedly in the face with a spiked gauntlet. Like, that's what happens the entire time. And that's why it's so incredible. If I would say that um, in, in terms of like the Fincher I've seen, if I compare this film to Fight Club, I would prefer uh, Gone Girl's take on pessimism um, more because I know Fight Club talks about you know toxic masculinity and issues regarding um, capitalism and the mistrust of that. But I, I, I think this is a much more mature film. Yes, exactly. I mean, Fight Club's a hell of a lot of fun to watch, but you know you can tell it's a, a man in his early 30s making it as opposed to a man in his. Uh, late 40s, early 50s, who is yeah. a little bit more seasoned in his opinions and his thoughts. The score is incredible. The performances are insanely amazing. And yeah, I, I'm really happy I made you guys watch this movie because I remember watching in the theater. Um, this was only my second watch since seeing it in the theater. Uh, I was just completely floored by this film, and I just desperately wanted people around me to talk about it in an intelligent um, thoughtful matter, and so I thought bringing it to the podcast would be just like really great use of a host pick. Great pick, well, absolutely, and that's the point of these host picks is breaking the rules and doing films that don't qualify as good trash, films that we normally would not talk about on the show. So, yes, Alex, thank you so much, Dustin. What are your thoughts on Gone Girl? Okay, so this film is brilliant. This film is important. This film is a film that everybody needs to see. This is a film I don't like watching. And that's fair. We've talked we talked about that at length when we did our compliance show uh, about 2 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's it as you said, it's a hateful hateful film. And uh, so it's very, very unpleasant for me. There is no one I like. Mm -hmm. I want. I mean, I recommended a possible game for this week as movies in which you want every character to die. You want Margot Dunn to die? Margot doesn't do anything wrong. I think Margot is... In... Okay, Margot's the only one. Margot and the detective, I think, are both No, completely... she could die, too. The detective? Yeah, she can just Really? Die. Yeah, they can all die. What? I don't like no, it. No, you're a piece of shit. No, the detective is has got an axe to grind the entire movie. Yeah, but, she, but, she, but she's right. She's all she, right. And she gets okay. over it. Well, yeah, but she's correct though. Her her partner's kind of a douchebag. The the point is, I, I I want everyone dead. I want them all dead because again, they're they're all very very terrible, manipulative, uh, sort of, you know, guilty in various and sundry ways kinds of people. And 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 the film itself is sort of saying these things about everyone around them. Now, I mean, it's, it's like you say, it's misanthropic. Everybody is terrible. Everybody, you know, is worthy of judgment and scorn and. Of course, I tend to be a little bit more humanistic than that, personally. Same. I do, too. So, it, it's a film a lot like Sweet Movie, in that it, it hates About, you. A, a lot like what? Sweet Movie. What's Sweet Movie? It's a Dushan Makiev uh, uh, film from the 70s. 
You don't you don't find the thrill ride of the mystery enjoyable? I find that fun. I li- I like the whole not knowing what's going to happen. I think mm-hmm. the twists are just you know they're they're brilliant. All that stuff is, is fantastic. It's well shot, well acted. All those things that make it a quality film are there. I'm it's just it's it's too unpleasant for me, and uh, that unpleasant experience makes me very greatly dislike the film. You know, but it's brilliant and everyone should see it. And uh, there you go. And now you have all of that. It is now time to get down to business. It's business. It's business time. I know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. Ooh, it's business. It's business time. That's right, dear listener. And this week we are going to do some analysis of Gone Girl. We're very, very excited to be doing just that. We're going to give the honors to Miss Alexander Bohannon first and foremost because she is the picker of the film and she has things to say. We'd like to hear them now. So today we're going to talk feminism. What else could we talk? <laughs> I mean, yeah, <laughs> we should definitely talk about it. Yeah. So my prim- primary focus uh, of this piece of feminism that I'm going to talk about in light of Gone Girl is the cool girl speech. The infamous cool girl speech. Is the cool girl speech misogynist, which is the subject of like every fucking think piece on this movie ever. Um, obviously, yeah, I hope you've ever you've seen the movie at this point. Um, to remind everyone, after the big reveal happens where Amy is still alive, we cut to her description on how she pulled it off, which is then capstoned with the infamous cool girl speech. Cool girl. Men always use that, don't they? As their defining compliment. She's a cool girl. Cool girl is hot. Cool girl is gay. Cool girl is fun. Cool girl never gets angry at her man. She only smiles in a chagrin, loving manner, and then presents her mouth for fucking. So, essentially, Amy is discussing how a cool girl is a social construct by all women to be the by all women to be the woman that her man wants her to be. So well, she even, yeah, she even says it. The best thing you can be right. is a cool girl. Right. Um, so her examples, he's a hipster artist, so she's a tattooed, bespectable, bespectacled nerd who loves comics. Because being the cool girl, and this is a quote from actually the cool girl speech from the novel, mm-hmm. being the cool girl means I am hot, brilliant, funny woman who adores football, poker, dirty jokes, burping, and who plays video games. So when I first watched the movie, I, I kind of resonated with this statement. I think we've all been in a place where we're trying to be the things that our significant other wants us to be at the cost of losing ourselves. But on the second watch, with some distance away from this, um, I told my friend, a friend of mine, that we were doing Gone Girl on the show, and she said that the cool girl speech was extremely problematic because it was misogynist. I don't actually disagree with this. I... I I don't d- disagree with the statement that the cool girl speech is misogynist, but I do degree, disagree uh, with the fact that it's problematic because it's problematic in a different way. I don't think that this f- scene is accidentally misogynist, which could be like hypothetically a filmmaker presents characters in such a way that you know he doesn't realize he's making women stereotypes and like purpose accidentally hating women. I think it's very purposeful and it's a misogyny is that Amy suffers from internalized misogyny and this isn't really her fault. Of course, I'm not sticking up for her behavior because she's kind of a deplorable person, Um, but she is relatable in the fact that she is suffering in a society that at its core 
categorizes, markets, and objectifies women. Her observations only demonstrates the struggle she has with society as a whole. And as Nick says earlier, everyone is examining me and projecting their shit on me. And, mm-hmm. she, and that's exactly what she does. And that's what Cool Girl does. It shows that Amy has internalized this narrative of being everything that everyone else wants. And that's how women are, are expected to act and market themselves in order to be desirable. Um, of course, she can't really prove that the girl with tattoos doesn't like fetish manga on her own or that girls don't like pizza and beer because they like them. At the end of the day, I mean, Amy hates herself and because she's become the everything that everyone else wants. Um, she's indeed a victim of her own internalized misogyny and a misogyny that stems from the greater society. And that's why while at this at the heart of the cool girl speech, it's misogynist. That's why the cool girl speech isn't problematic because it knows what it's doing. It knows it's making a critique of society because she's not saying, oh, well, you know, everyone else is acting this way. She's just said, this is what I am expected to act like because I am an unfortunate victim in yeah, this. Yeah, she, she's not saying that she doesn't like some of these things or these other versions of the cool girl don't like the things they like. She's just saying, these are the things that make you a cool girl, and that's the best society has said being a cool girl is the best thing that you can be. Right. I mean, that also gets to the point of, I remember, um, I can't remember if it was a tweet or something else, mm-hmm. but it was it wasn't even about Gone Girl. It was just saying... Any compliment that a man gives you where he's saying, oh, she's not like the other girls, that is misogynist, misogynist crap. Like, yeah. who, that shouldn't, it isn't a compliment. It's it's not even, it's not that it's an insult towards you. It's more of just, this person doesn't, or it this dude a, doesn't understand how women work. I was just about to say, yeah, it shows a shallowness of the understanding of gen- gender dynamics. Yeah, and... It's just, I, you know, if you get, I got a compliment like that recently um, at the at the gym, and I, you know, my past self, I would have, you know, maybe been like a little excited about it, but it's just like, no, I, I don't care that I'm quote not like the other girls or whatever that even fucking means to you. That's just kind of gross. I just want to be treated like a person. Alex, I think you're just like the other girls. Good. <laughs> I'm Wait glad. A, Wait a minute. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that, that, that was the. That was the joke, joke. Ted. Thank thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohannon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say in terms of analysis? Well, I'm really excited, Alex, to be talking after you because I I think our our analyses dovetail really nicely. We're going to go back back to my my time-honored pool of sociology, which I I haven't directly um, talked about in in quite some time. Um, Woo! You know, that's what I went to school for. Uh, I majored in sociology in college. I'm back when I was reading sociological literature every goddamn day. Um, I talked about it a lot more on the show because it was swimming around in my brain. Uh, of late on this show, listener, I, I think I've I been a little bit more generally uh, philosophical or, you know, I've spoken more in generalities. I haven't specifically hit on any sociological theories, but I do want to today because I think Gone Girl embodies uh, one of the ones I find the most fascinating uh, so fully. And it's this... Uh, this uh, Perspective in sociology, uh, the idea of dramaturgy, uh, which was first a term coined uh, by uh, Irving Goffman, who is a, a minch. Uh, but uh, Irving Goffman w- was a sociologist, and he adapted this this term dramaturgy from the theater. Uh, 
and presented this idea in, in a book from 1959 called The Preservation of Self in Everyday... I'm sorry, The Presentation of Self in Everyday Life. Uh, and that pretty much sums up what he, re- what he meant when he was talking about dramaturgy. What Goffman posited was that we are all performing. Every second of every day, everything we do is a performance of what we want people to perceive us to be. And I think Gone Girl fucking knocks that out of the park. Nick Dunn is performing. Um, Tyler Perry's character, who's, for life of me, name I can't remember, uh, the attorney. Tanner is performing. Kim, the detective, I almost call her Kim, because Kim, that's the actress's name. Um, she's performing. Even Margot's performing. Everyone is, the uh, girl from the Blurred Lines video is performing. Definitely performing. Uh, everyone in this film is performing in some way. I want to call her Kim. The detective is performing in a way of what a cop is supposed to be like. Uh, she even uh, she's performing of what an interrogation is supposed to look and feel like. Hey, Dustin, um, do you know what your wife's blood type is? Just out of curiosity, I do. She's B positive. Okay, I'd be positive. I don't know my girlfriend's blood type. Uh, Ayo, nailed it. L-M-A-O. Thanks, uh, thanks, Bruce Almighty, <laughs> for that joke. Um, Nick is performing. Nick is performing the role of disgruntled, uh, failed writer who owns a bar. He is a cool guy. Nick's a cool guy, guys. He's the, the whole, coolest guy. That always cracked me up about, you know, Margot's comments. Just like, oh, so now you're fucking your student. I thought you were just, writers desperately hate cliches. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, he, he's he's having sex with his, with his uh, barely legal student that he's teaching, presumably like comp to, uh, to at the best. Creative writing, I believe. Was it creative writing? Yeah, okay. which is of even course more it was. Of course uh, it was. My poetry really, really attracted you, huh, teach? But exactly. <laughs> and uh, what? Oh God! Amy has the great line. She calls his student the girl with the great big "come on me tits." The "come on me tits." Yeah. Oh my God! Amy is mean. A- and again, yeah, Amy is. is the most directly mean person because she's the one that sees through all of this. She is the one that points out everyone is full of shit, including me. I have faked for so long. Uh, Yes, she starts eating all this junk food because she's trying to put on weight to make herself harder to identify. I also think she's relishing getting to just down junk food and not give a shit about it. She's enjoying uh, wolfing down them Funyuns, not having to wax, not having to pluck her eyebrows, not having to keep dyeing her hair because she puts some dye in it to change her identity, but that's the end of it. Uh, Oh, my God. Rosamund Pike is so good in this movie, guys. Neil Patrick Harris is performing what the idea of this this very posh, rich gentleman behaves like. He's also a rapist, but uh Hey, also as it the floors out. are heated. You can just set it however you like. Yeah. Now, now again, uh, he does not ever actually physically assault Amy, uh, but he is primping her to be what he wants her to be. He is forcing her to perform, her, perform what his idea of Amy looks like. Uh, and again, this—that's one of the reasons I wanted to visit this idea of dramaturgy—is uh, because this film captures this idea so well, uh, and I think that's one of my arguments for why I don't find the cool girl speech problematic in the slightest, and I don't even find it particularly misogynistic because it's saying the the crux of the speech is that everyone is full of shit, because if men would stop trying to put their perceptions of what women are supposed to be onto women, they would open their eyes long enough to realize they have created the cool girl and what the cool girl is supposed to look like. It, it is an indictment of society. It is not an indictment of women. And again, 
To me, the most problematic thing about this film is the fact that Amy lies about being raped. And if this film is anything for 15-year-old boys who watch it like Fight Club was for me, they will miss the point. And they will think, oh, that's a thing that happens. Women lie about being raped. And that's not a good idea to be putting out into the world. Uh, yeah, that if I have a single th- problem with this same. movie, it's that. I'm just like, Ugh, That's a plot that point that makes me sick to my stomach. It sure as hell does. Agreed. Yeah, I don't care for it. Well, and, and, and the, the plot sells, the, the lie sells so well that the FBI agents are just like, shut up, local detective. This woman was taken advantage of. And the detective sees through her shit because that's the trope. You know, the, the small town cop knows better than the federal agent who's got his head too far up his ass. But that's the thing that I find problematic about the movie. Um, now, again, if you're not an idiot, you you know, that's not a problem. But the problem is there are a lot of people who watch movies that are fucking idiots. So I, hopefully, listener, you, you are not one of those people. And if you are, rethink yourself, please. <laughs> Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Caleb Masters, what say you in terms of analysis? Well, Dalton, you gave me a great springboard for my analysis. Oh, well, that worked out because Alex gave me a great springboard. So we're just, we're like the, the goddamn Cirque du Soleil. <laughs> Freaking fantastic. Well, I'm going to talk about how the world is just a series of stories we tell ourselves. Gone Girl is a meta commentary on the reality of storytelling and the reality of truth. Uh, in the film, the story of Amy Dunn's disappearance is all about public perception. None of the facts matter because the ultimate outcome is controlled by popular opinion. Who's selling us the best bullshit? Which is the best story to tell? What story do I think is the best version of the truth? Everyone, and now in this movie, every character is fighting to control the outcome of the story. Uh, throughout the film, the media is used as a weapon and a tool by everyone, including the police. Nick, Amy, uh, and even Tanner Bolt uh, to prep, uh, boost up his own image uh, over and over again. Um, Every time you look smug, I'm going to throw a gummy bear at you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I'm song. not that quoting was... the movie. I'm, I'm serious, Caleb. Every time you're not... <laughs> Oh, well, smuggy smug. You know how many gummy bears would die in the course of this show? <laughs> if we threw a gummy bear at someone every time they looked smug? They would all die. Yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> uh, so over and over again, Tanner and Margot tell Nick that the truth is... It's, it doesn't matter. Uh, they are fighting over their version of the larger uh, narrative to be the one that wins out in history, even though... All of it is propagated. Now, once you find out about halfway, two-thirds of the way through the movie or so, that Amy's actually alive, that, that changes well, The diary everything. is all, the, the is diary all part of the lie. The diary is part of the lie that she's selling, the, the, the story she's telling, the version of reality she's telling. Um, now, all, what's funny is the media itself is used as a tool and a weapon. It doesn't care about the truth at all as long as people are watching it because that's kind of the critique on media you've got going on there. Uh, now the movie, it, it's def- this movie is definitely an obvious critique of the the malleability of truth on That's a macro scale. Now, on a, this is obviously the, the the it's critiquing the easy, easy malleability of the truth on a macro scale. Obviously, I think being the big picture, but the same is all can also be said about on an individual basis. Nick told himself that he moved back home because he wanted to take care of his mother, even though it's pretty. If you kind of have a discerning eye, again, it's up to interpretation that he probably moved back because he wasn't a wasn't a big city guy. Uh, Amy told herself that she loved Nick, even though she actually despised him. Um, that, and then in the latter half of the film, when she comes back, she says, no, 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 I do love you, even though she's lying to herself. Well, she that. loves him because he's such a good liar. Exactly. 
Yeah. But she doesn't really love him. She's like, oh, you're even better at faking who you are than I am. Yes. That's what's kind of twisted about it, right? And, if, and if, here's the thing, though. I don't think she actually loves him because she then later uses the pregnancy as a power play. If she actually loved him, I don't think she would do that. Uh, and, uh, Amy's a sociopath. Yeah. yeah well, okay, fair. she's an she, absolute sociopath. She doesn't love anyone. Now, yeah. Nick, Nick is not a good person. She loves her image. But I think Nick fully feels his emotions. Yes, no, yeah, definitely. that's fair. In the end of the film, Amy seals her victory uh, by manufacturing the pregnancy and the power play to keep the marriage together. So that the two can stay famous and stay in the spotlight, because Amy likes the, despite everything she said, she likes the attention. Um, now, this begs the question: Where does real truth lie? Does it lie in the facts, or does it lie in the story we all decide as a society to buy? Uh, the movie is meant to be a thrashing criticism of the notion of truth. It really is, and it doesn't. It honestly doesn't really present a lot of solutions. However, um, I think the really valuable idea that you know I, I hope audiences can extract is that the truth is never as simple as we like to make it. We need to remember what's what are the stories we tell ourselves on an individual basis, mm-hmm. and what are the the big lies yeah. lies as a society we tell ourselves. Racism has gone well, away. Dustin, well, Dustin, since the 1960s, right? We're telling ourselves that. Dustin XYZ. talked about this on our uh, Pirates of the Caribbean episode a couple months back. Uh, the lie that we agree upon is what history... Exactly. And exactly. And I, and I think this movie is challenging uh, just our perception as a truth on, a, on both an individual... Because uh, it, it, the movie thrashes the individual characters uh, and before you can actually understand the bigger picture, it's, it's important on an individual basis. But on a, on a grand picture, uh, racism went away in the 1960s, right guys? Right? Nope. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, these, these, these the lie things, we tell. The ourselves. lie we tell ourselves. That's just just one example. There's a lot of them, but I think the movie is trying to uh, you know have us rest. It, it wants us to leave the theater unnerved uh, and unsettled, and hopefully the, not comfortable with the truth. The, the clusterfuck that is uh, the Middle East right now isn't the direct fault of the West, right? Right. Oh yeah, we had nothing to do with that. It's Isaac Ishmael, right? Which yeah. is some sort of pass out, right? Oh Jesus Christ! Right. That's Christ, about all I got, though. Christ on a fucking crutch. Uh, that's all I've got for that. Uh, Caleb, thank you very much. Uh, Dustin, uh, I guess you'll be the one to bring bring her on into the station. What and do you I, want to say about And I think about? my points, again, tie into all the points as they've been brought up. I think we have a very, very good synergy going here tonight. Because I want to talk about the sort of uh, phenomenon of high-profile murder cases mm-hmm. and developing news and the 24-hour news cycle. Which I think uh, really started with, if we want to try to go back as far as we can, probably started in 1994 with uh, O.J. Simpson. O.J. Simpson, absolutely. And of course, the thing can, continues to mushroom out like fungus into like Scott Peterson, JonBenet Ramsey. It lives in the dark and it eats shit. It, 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 yeah, absolutely, exactly what I'm talking about. And, and what we have in our culture right now is this sort of obsession with celebrity and obsession with creating celebrity of... of of murder mysteries, and then just again filling up news time when there's not something to talk about. Well, that's and that's why uh, celebrity crime is oh so sweet because it combines our two favorite things: gossip about famous people and horrible, grisly death. But with the case of Scott Peterson, also John Benet Ramsey, mm-hmm. we have cases where they're not famous people, but it's very sexy. It's, yes, you know, it's a child, it's, it's it's a young mother. Yes. Well, and that's I think that's why this film does such a good job portraying that is. Amy is not technically famous, but everyone knows her because of the books her, ch- her the, right. the children's books her parents wrote. Right, uh, but the other cases they're, they're less yeah. famous, other than the, the fact that they sort of had this murder happen, and it suddenly becomes high profile murder. I will not touch on the fact that these are overwhelmingly blonde white women mm-hmm. um, or girls, but but and, and what happens though is that these uh, sort of um, news personalities, not journalists, 
let's be very, very clear, that what we experience now, now in the news is no longer journalism, but rather some sort of uh, metafictional narration that – that, that what we experience now in stories is just whatever is happening right now, whatever would get the most rank, whatever is the most interesting, as not Nancy Grace sort of um, yeah. most brilliantly illustrates. Missy Pyle, so good. Uh, she's, she's brilliant. And th- this, I think the film absolutely lays its finger on the pulse of a real problem in American journalism, is that we lack journalism. The fact of the matter is we have a lot of issues going on in our country that are worth conversation, that they're worth discussion, that, worth, that are worthy of a national conversation. But what we'd rather talk about is whether or not somebody who um, you know, happens to be related to a missing person is a sleaze or not. And although that's interesting in terms of a justice-oriented investigation as, mm-hmm. to, as to the facts, and we want justice to happen. We want to figure out what happened to John Benet Ramsey. We want to happen what happened you know, to, to any, any given missing person. We, we want that to happen. That's fine. But the national conversation turning towards that is all about creating a narrative that's an interesting story. Because if it bleeds... It leads! Correct. And that is really the fundamental problem with our national discourse. Which right now. sometimes results, you know, uh, a big film getting a lot of buzz right now that just got wide release, a spotlight, which is about the very true, very. Caleb, you've seen it. Yes. Which we don't want to get sidetracked too far, but is about the very real, I think directly touches on what you're talking about, Dustin, is the very real case, um, uh, the very real circumstances of the Catholic sex abuse scandals that the Boston Globe uncovered in 02. Oh three, somewhere in there, Caleb. Oh, oh one. Oh one. Um, that's a headline that bleeds and leads, but is also through sheer serendipity. Occasionally, stories that need to be told right. are also stories that titillate and are intriguing and will sell papers, but also are stories that people don't want to fucking hear. Yeah, and that is really the problem about what we talk about in terms yeah. of stories, because yeah. if they don't make sort of a Hallmark sort of ending where we have a massive confession, where we have justice prevailing, and someone walking hand in hand with some other person in a heterosexual couple at the end of it. If we, if we don't have that happen, then we're not satisfied. And the media seeks to form that sort of Hollywood ending. I mean, it's it's this weird place of life imitating art at this point. Yeah. Where, where um, we want to make those things occur. And this film sort of illustrates that, and then problematizes it by saying, it's not what you thought anyway. And so I, I really feel like the justice system itself is is brought on trial in an interesting way, but also media more specifically. And the fact of the matter is, I mean, I care about justice prevailing, but what I what I'm really frustrated about is how much time is spent on these particular trials. These, you know, OJ Simpson and what happened with with, with Nicole Brown, like. I, I we want justice to happen, and OJ all but confessed in his latest memoir. You know, so I mean that's a travesty, and that is what it is. And I'm I'm, I'm leaving all his guilt and innocence aside. That needs to happen. But you know what? In 1994, there was a whole lot of stuff going down right now that we would be much more benefited by a conversation than just whether or not OJ did it or not. And that's the fundamental problem. I feel like that this is laying its finger on the pulse of. What a mess. What a mess. Dear listener, we brought some analysis to the show. We'd love to hear what you've got to say about all the things that we've said so far and things that we may have failed to say. And the way you do that is through social media. We're going to get to that in a minute. But first, we've got to render a verdict. I go to you first, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Shelf for trash, else or instead. Oh, this is an infinitely shelfable film. Are you kidding me? It's fantastic. I think it's great. Uh, now, again, it's not going to be for everybody. Uh, this is definitely not a film I think uh, either of my parents would enjoy, for for instance. 
but uh, I think it's it's a fantastic film. It's very watchable. It's very good. Uh, and I think as our our conversations have bared out, I think it's a film that's got a lot to say. So I think you should definitely check it out. To pair with this, uh, obviously you should continue to check out the works of David Fincher. Uh, primarily, I think you should check out his best mystery film, which is Zodiac, uh, because it's a mystery that has yet to be solved. Um, and just shows you how much a mystery can ruin your life. Um, and I think you should check out his second best film about women, which is definitely not Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. It's Panic Room, uh, which is not his best work, but I think it's probably one of his uh, best films about uh, women, uh, because Jodie Foster and Kristen Stewart give uh, some of their best performances of their careers in that film, even though it's just uh, a fun thriller. Uh, you should obviously check out any, uh, any of the noir classics like uh, Double Indemnity and uh, Sunset Boulevard uh, because of Amy Dunn's role as a femme fatale in this film. I think specifically Double Indemnity, the um, the idea of a, a woman manipulating a man, but in this case getting him to do something bad as opposed to framing him for something bad. Uh, yeah, check it out. Those are things you should pair with it. I give the film nine Punch and Judy's out of a possible ten. <laughs> Thank you very much. Mr. Caleb Masford, what do you say? Yeah. Shelf of Trash, elsewhere instead. This, Sorry. Uh, so I do a top ten every year for one of the websites I write for, and this was like number six last year. And it was between this and Nightcrawl, it was really close for number five. So, man, fantastic movie. Excellent the second time around. And, yeah, absolute shelfer. Absolute shelfer. This I think is, this was in my top – it was definitely my top five. Yeah, it was excellent. It was close. It was very close. I mean, this is this is one uh, that people need to see. And I think, you know, David Fincher fans need to own because I would make a strong argument for it being out of his three best films he's made so far. I could get behind that, yeah. So, uh, so definitely uh, shelf it. Uh, else, to go along with side it uh, – to follow up on Dustin's analysis, I think Spotlight, a movie I just caught this weekend, talking about the value uh, and importance to society of real truth-seeking journalism for stories that take months and sometimes years to develop to reveal something that people might not want to hear but they need to hear. Yeah, go see it. It's in theaters right now. Check it out. I, th- I think it really is a great fit for Dustin's analysis. Um, for a movie, eh, you know, you're, you're, you're down on life because you just finished Gone Girl because uh, the movie is kind of wreck you a little bit. Uh, uh, as far as faith and relationships, go go watch before any of the before series, before Sunrise, you might not before watch Sunset, before Midnight in particular for healthy, long, gestating relationships. Yeah, you know, I was going to say maybe don't watch before Midnight, but you know what? No, because it does show that just because there's problems doesn't mean that love exactly. can't survive. Exactly. For, for people who've been together for a very long time. On store, to follow up on my analysis, go check out True Detective Season 1 because Matthew McConaughey talks a lot about... Uh, the malleability of truth and the world and our existence is just the truth we tell ourselves on a daily basis and 99% of us are bullshitting ourselves every day. He's got some great monologues on it. Check it out. And lastly, because I think Carrie Coon deserves more attention and I think The Leftovers deserves way more attention, please go watch The Leftovers season one and two. Uh, And then my rating will be nine and a half pregnant town morons out of a possible ten. Alrighty, there you go. Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. Ms. Alexandra Bohannon, picker of the film. Shelf or trash, else or instead? Guys, shelf it. It's so good. I went out and bought this movie because I want to own it and consume it whenever I want. And I actually plan on re-watching this movie. I don't think this one's a one and doneer for me. Um, for my rating, I would give it 187 Come on, me tits, at a possible 190. <laughs> you know, you have an odd number there. Yeah. It's slightly strange. Yeah. Well, and then for my else's, I would recommend you watch 
um, for that what is true and what is the news we fabricate versus things and an intense Oscar bait film, Nightcrawler. Um, that is an in, that is pr- basically this, but and from the same year, light. yeah, definitely. And then uh, in an interesting double feature that I made last when I watched Gone Girl, I watched alongside it American Beauty, which I think actually could pair well because it's talking absolutely about, yeah. about the nature Agreed. of Americana and um, has some interesting twists and turns and has great voiceover and a great voiceover and I think it. I mean, I think the ending note is way more uh, positive and optimistic, but I think that it also could fall uh, pretty well in line with each other. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much, Ms. Alexander Bohannon. I am not going to say shelf. I don't think you should... I absolutely think you should watch it, but owning it and revisiting on a regular basis, as one would do with a film on the shelf... I'm going to go with not so much. I think that's fair. But what I would say is what also you should watch, as you watch it, even though you don't purchase it, is you should check out Mulholland Drive. Absolutely. Which is that a was my, one of mine. fascinating murder mystery. And also, perhaps, check out Nightcrawler. And, and, and so both of those um, recommends I think I, I totally wholeheartedly agree with. Because it's, it's the commentary on media is very, very important. And uh, so that's what I would say, and that's what I'd recommend. And I thank you, dear co-hosts, for all of that. Let's talk about social media and how we can have the conversation continue. And I go to you, Mr. Arthur Gordon, at this time. Do you know anything about those social media memes? Uh, yeah, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash good trash, John Cast, one word. Uh, we had one comment coming back in regards to our episode 150. Fran King said congrats, and here's to 150 more. Uh, thank you, Fran, for listening and your support. We appreciate that, and all of our dear listeners. It has been a fun ride. Uh, you can also check us out on Google Plus and connect with us there. You can email us goodtrashgenrecast at gmail dot com. Thank you very much, Mister Arthur Gordon, Mister Dalton Stewart. Do you know anything else about those means by which conversations could be held? I'm so much happier now that I'm dead. Technically missing, soon to be presumed dead, gone, and my lazy, lying, shitting oblivious co-host Dustin will go to prison for my murder. Dustin Sells took my pride and my dignity and my hope and my Twitter. He took and he took and he took from me until I no longer existed. That's murder. Let the punishment fit the crime. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find the Good Trash Genre cast on Twitter at good underscore trash. My only regret is not actually getting to murder you. Go right ahead, sir. Do we have any feedback coming from that? I'd like to see you try, you old piece of shit. We do have uh, one bit of feedback that I think bears mentioning. Uh, Brigham Cole uh, tweeted us, let us know that he was catching up with uh, a couple of backlogged episodes, and he had just listened to the Starship Troopers Troopers episode, and let us know that as of the uh, 2013-2014 year, um, Starship Troopers was on the U.S. Marine Corps professional reading list. So uh, there it is, still there. Uh, go fascism, and thank you, <laughs> thank, and thank you for that, Brigham. Uh, but that's really all the uh, the feedback we have coming in this week. Lots of likes and retweets, but uh, nothing in the way of uh, readable feedback. Other than that, dear listener, we love the feedback. Send it any way you can. We'd love to hear from you, but we got to move on because as I look at my watch, it's time to play the game. That's right, dear listener, we're here to play the game. This week's game is our favorite movie mysteries. Uh, That's right, favorite movie mysteries, brought to you by Gone Girl. Gone Girl. Man, I wonder if that girl is gone. (laughs) (laughs) 
That would be well, an interesting mystery. Thank you very much. That for is that. the mystery. Is the girl gone? Turns out, kind of, but also no. Sort of, but not really. Yes. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what are your favorite mysteries? Um, I will harken uh, back to one mentioned by Dustin Sells earlier. Um, Mulholland Drive, that one is such a good picture, and its mystery is thoroughly confusing, and uh, how it's composed, and then you don't really get it until the end, and it, then it's amazing. It makes no sense until it makes perfect sense. And it's oh, so incredible. And um, a second is kind of a literary slash cultural pick. I love the mystery in Jane Eyre. It's something that makes There's a mystery it, in Jane Eyre? Yeah, well, it's the mystery of, like, why is Rochester so weird and what the fuck is going on in this house? Because Bertha. <laughs> because Bertha, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a really, really good, um, totally worth your time, and there are a handful of great film adaptations out there. Thank you very much, Ms. Alexander Bohannon. Mr. Caleb Masters, favorite movie mysteries. Go. Uh, I've got a couple. This one's a classic, guys. Rosebud, what's up? What is Rosebud? You're going to say Citizen Kane is your favorite movie mystery? No, it's one of my favorites. So I'm watching this in a class full of people who've never seen Citizen Kane in one of my, in one of my film analysis class in college, and none of them knew. I was like, oh my god, this is brilliant. It was the most fun I had watching because it was right in front of their eyes the whole time. It's a classic movie mystery. I think people who watch movies should definitely check out Citizen Kane, especially because I, th- I do think it's an interesting interesting mission uh, mystery because once you find out the answer, it totally paints the picture in an incredibly different light. I don't know. You guys all seem like you're bored by it, but, uh, you know. No, no, I think you're right. I just I haven't thought about it as a mystery because it's so much in the zeitgeist. Well, no, no. See, that was, it was great. I was watching okay, the people you know, who literally had no clue – so they were actually, because we had to take breaks between classes, as you do, because you don't have three hours of one class, and they were actually like, man, what is Rosebud? They were like curious, and they didn't know, and because they were curious enough, they didn't spoil themselves. Hmm. So it was really fascinating, but as people who've watched movies for a long time, for us, it's just like pro- pre-programmed, like, of course, it's the sled. Oh, my next pick is going to have to be none other than The Prestige. How did Angier and Borden do their tricks, and who's the better magician? Oh, good mystery. I could watch that. And that movie is brilliant because I could watch it infinitely. And every time I watch it, I appreciate it more and well, more. And it passes a litmus test. Yeah. Uh, is the movie still engaging after, you know, the twists? And then lastly, uh, this one's a little bit of overlap between literature, uh, well, young adult literature and film. And I have to go with Harry Potter and The Goblet of Fire. A uh, film adaption yeah. does not give it justice, but the, the the fourth movie is more of an action movie. The fourth book, though, there's a whole lot of holy shit. What is going on? Who's pulling the strings? Who put Harry's name in the Goblet of Fire? Why'd they put it in there? There was a lot of like, what? Yeah, in that book, it, it's a Hardy Boys narrative. Yeah. yeah, all the all the Harry Potter books are really mysteries. It's just like which mystery is the best, except for the last one where it's just camping and shit. Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What are your favorite mysteries? Well, I, I'm not going to break the Fincher rule any more than it's already been broken by me tonight, but I do want to point out that if you Google best movie mystery, um, all the movies that pop up, uh, there's about six David Fincher movies in there. Uh, so that's worth mentioning, I think. Uh, one of my, my all-time favorite mo- movie mysteries is how, in the age of the internet, do people think that the Blair Witch Project and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre are still real things? Uh, people are stupid. Uh, Google's a thing and can answer all of your questions in uh, in a moment's notice, and yet people still think both of those things actually happened, which is hilarious to me beyond measure. Um, and it just really delights me and tickles my funny bone. Uh, movies that actually have mystery central to them, uh, one of my favorites is uh, Rashomon. 
uh, which is a film we discussed for the now defunct uh, spinoff show, Good Trash Do Cinema, that Though has been revived. I'm getting, I'm getting okay. there. Which has been revived as the film syllabus, which is a uh, spinoff show that Alex and Dustin are co-hosting, where we take, where they're going to take you through the films that actually do get discussed in a film studies course. Rashomon is one of those films, and I think the best thing about Rashomon is you do never know. Um, the intricacies of the mystery are never revealed to you, and that's okay. Because it's not about the mystery, it's about the journey. Um, similarly, uh, in that same vein, I do want to give a shout-out to uh, both seasons of True Detective, Caleb, uh, because neither season is really about the mystery. Uh, they're both about the characters, and I think uh, that can be much more illuminating in a mystery story is what that mystery tells you about the characters investigating it. Um, <clears throat> kind of like Zodiac, but... Um, <laughs> That's irrelevant. Uh, a more recent movie mystery, though, is um, I think one that is a modern classic, uh, one we've discussed on this show, and that is um, Memento, directed by Christopher Nolan, and I still think it's probably one of his best films uh, because it's. I wish he would direct something a little more along the lines of Memento. Um, just go ahead and hamstring himself and say, you know what? I'm going to make a $10 million movie, and everybody's going to go see it because I'm a household name, and I know how to shoot the fuck out of a movie, so it'll still look really good. But uh, it's going to be more personal and more interesting and more heady. But uh, Caleb, uh, along with David Fincher, Christopher Nolan is on that list of best movie mysteries about four or five times uh, because he has some really interesting, interconnected, weavy, twisty, turny plots like The Prestige, like Memento, and um, uh, Inception. Even I, mean, I would and yeah, Inception. Lots yeah. of, lots but of I think lines. my favorite of the mysteries he's done is Memento because Guy Pierce and uh, good old um, good old Joey Pants. Really, their interactions as two different characters. Man, oh, what a good movie. Thank Justin, you. what are your favorite movie mysteries? Okay, so I got to go two classics and two sort of semi contemporaries. Well, that's kind of, I went one and one. And the two classics, um, because Humphrey Bogart for days, guys. That's all I got to say. Um, and uh, first of all, I got to say The Maltese Falcon. Because you have to say the Maltese Falcon. And it has most, one of the most bitchin' posters. It absolutely does. And as far as a mystery goes, that absolutely makes sense, but you have to really think hard on it. That's the big sleep. And those two movies, for days, if you love hard-boiled and detective and mystery and all those sort of things, uh, absolutely love those movies very, very much. The next pick I have is Richard, a Richard Gere film. Yes, that's right, dear listener. A Richard Gere film, Primal Fear. Oh, yeah, dude. Uh, there's a twist, and it is absolutely worth your Him time. Him and Norton are both so good in that the, movie. Absolutely brilliant. And then the last pick, which is probably my favorite mystery film, and that is Wes Craven's Scream. Yeah. That's good, yes. Yeah. Can't yeah. I can't argue with that. I mean, yeah, it, it's my favorite mystery movie. It's It actually has sort of a horror film going on also. Well, no, I think as we discussed in Shocktober, it is more mystery than a horror film. Absolutely. And it's so much fun, and you don't know who done it unless you've seen it. Just and the right number of red herrings, and then to really keep you on your toes, too. Yeah, brilliant. More like a red right herring, am I right, guys? <laughs> so there you go, dear listener. You know our picks. We'd love to hear your picks about that. But enough of this foolishness. It's now time to talk about what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. The roof! The roof! The roof is on! That's right, dear listener. We're all kinds of fired up. Mr. Caleb Masters, can you share your fire? Yeah, I've got some fire. Uh, so this last week, the there was a collection on Amazon, Amazon exclusive that came out that I am so jazzed about, guys. Uh, the complete works of Hayao Miyazaki, 
uh, all 11 of his films on glorious 1080p Blu-ray and one very nifty collector's edition package for about $200. It's expensive, so expensive. But when you break it down, it actually breaks down to about $15 a movie, which is not bad. For Blu-ray? And those movies? Not bad at all. Oh, man, yeah. So um, it's in my queue. I haven't ordered it yet for financial reasons, but man, the second... It, it's coming. It's coming, and I'm really excited. Uh, I, Hayao Miyazaki is the the Japanese Disney, and his films are just so, so wonderful. So I can't wait. And and I had actually been ho- holding out on purchasing a number of these on Blu-ray because some of them hadn't even been made it to Blu-ray proper until this collection. So very excited about that. Um, other than that, though, I mean, I've been playing lots of video games. You've been playing lots of Fallout. That's Actually, what you've been playing. I'm also fired up about our two episodes of uh, Back to the uh, Movies that have dropped this week, the night before, where Arthur and I tackle that, and then The Good Dinosaur. And then, lastly, I am very jazzed about Thanksgiving. Sitting back, really chilling out with my family and friends, eating, drinking, and watching movies. So, yeah, that's about all the fire I've got right now. Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. Mr. Dalton Stewart, are you fired up as well? I guys, I'm gonna be straight up with you. I haven't really done much this week. Uh, played a little Fallout Four. Saturday though, all me and my girlfriend did was watch Jessica Jones on Netflix. Uh, it's so good. It's fabulous. Um, I think it is probably one of the most emotionally resonant things uh, that Marvel has ever put out, um, bar none. I mean, in terms of emotional payoff and um, the intricacy and depth of human emotion that it explores, it, it is. Easily one of the best things I've ever done. Um, yeah, the, the mysteries within it are pretty solid. The actions is, is fun, but it isn't really that important. It doesn't happen that often. What's more important in Jessica Jones is the, the emotional uh, growth and discovery and uh, exploration of the characters. So I cannot more highly recommend it. I'm already probably three-fourths of the way through the, through the first season, which dropped on Netflix on November the 20th. So high marks from me. Thank you very much, Mr. Dolster and Miss Alexander Bohannon. Do you have anything about which you are fired as well? I will. Three things, and I'll keep them brief. A, I saw Dalton Stewart, Heath Huffman, and uh, Kirsten Thurgelson, a bunch of my buddies, in a comedy showcase on Friday night, and and everyone was so great. So I had to, like, toot his horn because I asked if he would, and he didn't want to. Oh, thanks, man. Oh, you're welcome. No, I I didn't feel the need to. I appreciate that, though. Yeah, well, I can toot it for you. Thanks. Anyway, um... B, I had just been watching like a solid week of Dota and uh, esports, 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 etc. The ch- world champions didn't make it to the championship of this big tournament. It's crazy, drama, whatever. No one cares about it but me. If you care, talk to me on Twitter. And C, I'm on a new podcast on this network with this guy next to me who is Dustin Sells, and it's called The Film Syllabus, and I'm fired up about it because I am a film newbie. This guy's a film PhD, and we're going to go through the top 250 films. I'm studying for a PhD, well, to okay. be clear. I mean, yeah. We just did Breathless, and I'm really excited to do Breathless. So excited that I got her haircut, and um, yeah, that was fun. And but, Eight and a Half is next. Yes, Eight and a Half is next, and I have no idea what I'm in for, but apparently he does too. Well, uh, Alex, thank you so much for your fire. Dustin Sells, let's close it out with you. You got anything to be uh, fired up about other than your weird mustache? I am not fired about my weird mustache, although it gives me many opportunities to tell people about getting checked out for prostate cancer because one of every three men get that, and it's a big thing. It's no shave November. That's uh, at least one of the men at this table right now is going to have prostate cancer. Absolutely correct. And so so when you turn 40, every three years, you should get a check. And there you go. Get that finger in your butt if you like being alive.
I'm, I'm not going to lie. My uncle is dead because he didn't get checked, and it's a big deal to me, and it's a big deal to you all, so by all means, do that. That's why it matters. That's why I look stupid right now. Arthur's just living that no-shave life. That's correct. Now, the other things I'm fired up about include the film syllabus, which is a great show, and Alex and I are having a great time with that. I'm very, very excited about what's going to happen with that in the future. Also, I saw The Man in the High Castle, the first episode, the Amazon new series. I talked and- about that last week, right? Uh, did you talk about it last week? I think I did. It's great, right? It's fantastic. Oh, it's excellent. I caught it I, yesterday or I, earlier today. I like it so much, and it is so much fun. Dear listener, watch it. Watch it now. And that's all I have to say about all of that. Dear listener, we'd love to hear what you're fired up about. And we'd also like to continue this conversation with you all. We'd like you to see more films, and we'd like to let you know about next week's marathon. That's right. Uh, we love doing You Don't Know Jack, the stupidest marathon we've ever done so much. We're now doing You Don't Know Jack. Part D, where we discuss the films of Jack Nicholson. Last time it was movies with the name Jack in the title this week, or this month. It's going to be only films with Jack Nicholson in them. And next week's film is Jack Nicholson, Michael Keaton, Tim Burton in Batman 1989. I can't tell you how excited I am. That's right, dear listener. The Good Trash Owner cast is finally heading to the Batcave. Although we have done one episode on The Dark Knight. Look back in the archives for that and that great discussion featuring guest host Nick Sanford. Now, that being said, watching movies and having a conversation is what makes watching the movies so worthwhile, dear listener. In the meantime, do just that and we'll see you all next time. (laughs) 